We live in what some people have referred to as the age of outrage. Even if you're not familiar with that term, you might already think it's a pretty good description of the world in which we live, and we might point to two specific reasons for why it's called that. First of all, it's getting increasingly difficult to have polite disagreements with people. A lot of the hot-button issues that we discuss are more and more not just about someone being right and someone being wrong, someone being wise and someone being foolish. Rather, it's about someone being good and someone being evil. So whether it's climate change or a border wall, whether it's tax rates or healthcare reform, more and more people view the people who are on the other side of those issues as not just incorrect, but even immoral. And then second of all, we have been given almost exactly the right tools to take that, that moral indignation and to stoke it into a burning hot rage. The very tools that keep us informed and keep us connected to people all over the world also do a great job of adding fuel to just about any fire. And so people can surround themselves with people who see things exactly the same way. And then the, that group of like-minded people can very easily, very quickly turn into a virtual mob, taking their virtual pitchforks and lashing out against anyone that disagrees. Maybe you've even observed some of these characteristics of the age of outrage. Maybe you've even been on the receiving end of some of them. And if that's the case, then maybe you'd agree that for us as Christians, it's sort of a perfect time to be different. We might think that we as Christians have plenty that we should be outraged about too. And yet when we think about some of the behaviors that have sort of become the new normal in our world, I think maybe you'd agree that it's sort of a good time to be strange to be different, to be out of place. After all, that's exactly what we are, isn't it? A couple of decades after Jesus lived, one of his disciples named Peter wrote a letter to a bunch of Christians who were not gathered all together in one neat and tidy community, but they were scattered in a largely unbelieving and unchristian world. And Peter wanted them to know just exactly how different they were. And so he said this, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So by nature, we were walking in darkness, destined for a life of trying to prove our worth to God and therefore also trying to prove that we're better than other people. In other words, we were destined for a life of outrage. But God rescued us from that. God brought us into the light where we could see that the approval that we crave has already been won for us by our Savior Jesus. Through Jesus, we are God's holy people. We are his special possession. In other words, we're different. And if that's the case, then it only makes sense that we would live lives that are different. Peter goes on to encourage those Christians to live as foreigners and exiles in our world, to live lives that are strange and weird and out of place. And this week I want to talk to you about some of the ways in which we can do that. Some of the ways in which we can be strange in this so-called age of outrage. Ways in which our lives can bring glory to the one who has made us different. I know it can be frustrating and exhausting to live in this so-called age of outrage, but the good news is, it's a golden opportunity for us to be strange. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for calling us out of darkness and into your wonderful light. Fill us with joy in how different you have made us that we might live differently 
and bring glory to you. Amen. When was the last time you witnessed a conversation between two people about a very important issue, two people who were on completely opposite sides of that issue, and yet that conversation remained completely calm and under control? Has it been a while? This week we're talking about living strangely in what some people refer to as the age of outrage. And one of the reasons it's called that is because of how intense our conversations have become. We send messages in all capital letters. When we type or text, we add a few emojis onto the end of our message to let everybody know not just what we think, but how intensely we feel about it. We turn on the TV and we see people not just talking about issues, but yelling, screaming at the top of their lungs about those issues. In the age of outrage, it's normal to assume that the more fired up you get about something, the more passionate you are about it, the more likely you are to get your way. It's normal to assume that if you stay calm, if you stay under control, the less likely you are to win that argument. All of that is completely normal and to suggest otherwise would seem very strange. But if so, then strange might be just the right word to describe much of Jesus' behavior. Almost from the time that he was born, Jesus' presence in this world caused all kinds of people to start freaking out. Each one of them was concerned about the little slice of power or popularity that they had and they were willing to do anything to hang on to it. So, for example, when Jesus was born, there was this evil king named Herod who, when he heard about this newborn king of the Jews, ordered all the young baby boys of Bethlehem to be slaughtered just to try to wipe out Jesus. When Jesus emerged as a public figure later in life, the religious leaders saw how popular he was and they got jealous. So they were constantly trying to trap him or trip him up and when that didn't work, they plotted his death. Finally, a, a man named Pontius Pilate had the opportunity either to let Jesus go, to spare an innocent man, or to hang on to his little slice of earthly power and rather than doing what is right, he condemned Jesus to be killed. And what was Jesus doing while all of this was going on, while everyone was panicking and, and freaking out about losing their earthly power? Jesus remained calm. In fact, one author put it this way. He said, while everyone else was panicking, Jesus always remained remarkably uncaffeinated. Now, I feel the need to point out that the idea of making coffee without having caffeine in it seems to me to be just about the worst idea anyone has ever had. And yet, Jesus as the decaffeinated deity, I think it sums it up pretty well. And why could Jesus say, stay that way? Because while everyone else was fighting over their little slice of power, Jesus was there for something completely different. He even said to that Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. I know that sounds strange, but in the age of outrage, that's exactly what our world needs. It's normal to want to fight for a community, a society, and a country. It's normal to think that we really need to get fired up and, and freak out when someone tries to change something we love or take it away. And yet, as Christians, we know that really our struggle is against an enemy far greater. And our battle is for a completely different kingdom. And in that battle, Jesus has already won the victory. So even as everyone else freaks out about trying to hang on to their earthly turf, we can stay calm 
knowing that Jesus has already secured our heavenly home. I know it sounds strange, but it's strange exactly like Jesus was, and it's strange exactly like the world needs us to be. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for winning the victory over our spiritual enemies and securing for us a place in your heavenly kingdom. Keep us calm in that victory that more and more people might be brought into that kingdom. In your name we pray, amen. If Dr. George Beard is right, then we might be in trouble. George Beard wrote a book in which he argues that the speed of our lives is determined by the speed of communication. So as communication speeds up, so does the pace of life. In fact, Beard argues that recent advances in communication technology have sped life up so much in our world that they're actually contributing to the increase of stress, anxiety, and depression. The scary thing is, George Beard wrote his book back in 1888, and the advance in communication technology he was talking about was the telegraph. If he was right back then, you can only imagine how much trouble we're in in our world of, of constant high-speed internet and the supercomputers that fit right into the palm of our hands. This week, we're talking about living strangely in what some people refer to as the age of outrage. And in the age of outrage, life moves pretty fast. When something significant happens or the latest controversial issue arises, it's very normal to think that we need to be the first and the fastest to let our voice be heard. It's normal to think that if we don't, if we're not the first to let our voice be heard, then our voice would never be heard at all. It's normal to think that if we stop and reflect and pause and really think things through, then by the time we speak, everyone will have already moved on. All of that's normal to suggest otherwise would be strange. But if that's the case, then strange would be the perfect word used to describe Jesus' behavior. When Jesus emerged onto the public scene, we don't get the impression that he was very quick to take a definitive stance on a lot of the social hot-button issues of the day. We don't hear a lot of him taking a hard-line stance on things like politics or taxes and, and lamenting the sexual ethic or other social ills of his time. Jesus often addressed topics like that, but usually he waited until someone asked him and, and then he responded. No, instead, what we do here is that very quickly Jesus de developed a very specific reputation. Very often, the religious leaders would be talking about Jesus and they would say something like this. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus wasn't known for taking a quick stand on specific issues, but he was known for being very quick to talk to the people who struggled with those issues. Jesus wasn't so much interested in changing the society as he was in changing people's eternity. He wasn't known for being quick to talk about certain issues. He was known for being quick to talk with people. You know, Jesus does the very same thing with you. I mean, what if the main thing we knew about Jesus was that definitive, firm stance he took on things like our greed, our pride, our lust, our, our apathy for helping the poor and the oppressed? If that was all we knew about Jesus, do you know what we would want to do with Jesus? Well, we'd want nothing to do with Jesus. We'd be filled with so much guilt and so much shame that we would want to stay away from Jesus as far as we possibly could. But we know better. We know that Jesus came into this world not to condemn the world, but to save the world, to die for the world, to pay for the world's sins. Jesus still welcomes sinners, even sinners 
like you and me. And I know that sounds strange, but in the age of outrage, that's exactly what the world needs. It's normal for us to want to change people's minds and to change their behavior. It's normal for us to think that in order to do that, we need to be the first to let our voice be heard. But we know that people are not behavior modification projects for us. People are eternal beings whose lives on earth are very, very short. And so rather than being quick to speak, let's be slow to speak and quick to listen. Let's be quick to try and create opportunities to welcome and spend time with people, people who need Jesus just as much as we do. I know that sounds strange, but it's strange like Jesus was and it's strange like our world needs us to be. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you are slow to anger and quick to forgive. Let your patient love for us lead us to patiently welcome those trapped in sin and needing your forgiveness. In your name we pray, amen. Who would you guess has more influence in our world? Cristiano Ronaldo, Selena Gomez, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Beyonce, or you? I mentioned those specific celebrities because each one of them ranks in the top 10 of the most followed people on Instagram. Each one of them has well over 100 million followers. I don't know how you compare, but last time I checked, I have 277. This week, we're talking about living strangely in what some people refer to as the age of outrage. And in the age of outrage, it's normal to assume that the way to measure the impact that something has is by how many people see it or how many people hear it. The bigger the platform, the bigger the influence. It's normal to assume, it's natural to assume, that someone with 100 million followers, of course they have more influence than someone who has 277. To think otherwise would be strange. But if so, then strange would be the perfect word to describe much of Jesus' behavior. Yes, there were times when Jesus had a platform and times when he used it. On more than one occasion, the number of people who were gathered around to hear Jesus talk covered an entire hillside. But there were plenty of other times when Jesus deliberately walked away from the crowds. And while he didn't always seek out a platform, he did always make enough time even for just one person. One specific example really sticks out in my mind. Jesus had already deliberately decided to travel through foreign country outside of Israel's borders where he was less known and less popular. Apparently, there was some sort of crowd that was still with him at the time. But then, a group of people brought a friend who couldn't hear and couldn't speak. And rather than some impressive display to dazzle the crowd, Jesus took the man away from the rest of the people who were there. And rather than just snapping his fingers to sort of get it over with and make it better, no, Jesus took the time to communicate with him in the only way that he could, with sign language. He touched his ears, touched his tongue to let him know that he knew exactly what was wrong. He looked up to heaven and he let out a deep sigh to express sympathy and sadness. And then even after he healed him, Jesus ordered the crowd not to tell anyone what they had seen. I think modern-day productivity gurus would criticize Jesus for wasting so much time with just one person. I think modern-day publicity experts would scold Jesus for not seizing an opportunity to build up his personal brand 
All of it seems very, very strange. But you know, Jesus does the very same thing with you. Jesus doesn't say to us, you know, I, want, I know you want to spend time with me, but lots of people do. There are lots of people who are out there. So tell you what, how about the whole human race just appoints one person that represents all of you and that person can come and talk to me and I'll talk to them. He doesn't say, tell you what, if you get enough people all together in the same place, let's say you fill up a, a football stadium full of people, then I'll go ahead and make an appearance. No, Jesus says, no matter who, no matter where, no matter when, and no matter what, I'll make enough time just for you. In fact, he promises, where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. I know it sounds strange, but in the age of outrage, strange is exactly what our world needs. It's very normal for us to want to impact all of society on the most important issues of our day. It's very normal to assume that the way we can have that sort of influence is with a big platform, with lots of people listening and watching. And yet, I don't think it's an accident that when I read through the instructions that Jesus gives us in the Bible, I don't hear a lot of him saying, go out and change society, go out and save the planet, go out and make the world a better place. But I do hear him saying a lot of things like, love your neighbor. Not millions and millions of people scattered all over the world, but, but just one. Whoever happens to be closest at the time whatever that person happens to need at the time, and whatever dose of Jesus' love might be the solution to the problem they're facing. I know it sounds strange, but, but it's strange exactly like Jesus was, and it's strange exactly like the world needs us to be. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you that no matter how busy you were or how much you had on your mind, you always had time for just one, and you always have time for just us. Help us see opportunities for influence in the individuals you have placed right in front of us in our lives. In your name we pray, amen. So what do you think explains it? I'm guessing that if people from the distant past or people from the distant future looked at human behavior in the year 2019, they would find it to be very strange. And yet, a lot of that behavior has come to define what some people refer to as the age of outrage. The cruel words, the constant lashing out, the hatred and the anger that always seem to be right at the surface just waiting to bubble over, so much of it has become all too normal. So what do you think explains it? We might point to a lot of different external factors. We might blame politics or the media. We might blame our smartphones or our social media apps. And yet the Bible helps us see that there's an explanation that goes much, much deeper. You see, people who live in the age of outrage, just like people of every age, need validation. It's only natural that as we discuss certain issues, we turn them into things that are just about being correct or incorrect, into things that are about being good or evil. Because at the end of the day, we know deep down that we are people who are either good or who are evil. And so it's normal to view every opportunity to make a post or take a stand as our opportunity to prove that we're good. It's very normal to view every like, every share, every retweet that we get as something that confirms it. It's very easy for us to try and seek that validation from God and to seek it from other people. All of that is very, very normal. To suggest otherwise would seem very strange. And yet, more than anything else, that's what makes us as Christians strange in this age of outrage. 
See, whatever strategy we might pursue for trying to have an impact and make a difference, and, and whether we always get that strategy right or very often get it wrong, our conduct in the age of outrage is not our own personal audition tape that one day God is going to play back and, and use to decide whether or not he welcomes us into heaven. No, the audition tape that God needs in order for our spot in heaven to be guaranteed, well, he already has it firmly in hand. The writer to the Hebrews says this, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So even though Jesus didn't have a smartphone or any social media accounts, Jesus faced every temptation that we face in our age. He was tempted to lash out. He was tempted to get angry. He was tempted to talk about issues rather than taking the time to talk with people. And yet, as those verses remind us, Jesus was able to live his life completely without sin. And notice how the writer doesn't say that that makes Jesus a perfect example for us to follow and imitate, although Jesus is certainly that. He says that Jesus is our high priest. In Old Testament Israel, the high priest represented the entire nation before God. And so also Jesus as our high priest represents all of humanity before God. Which means that Jesus' perfect behavior counts as our perfect behavior. His patience counts as our patience. His care counts as our care. His entire life counts as our life. Which means that we have nothing to prove, not to God, not to anyone else. So what that means is that I'm guessing there are people in our world who would consider you to be the embodiment of virtue. But it doesn't really matter. There might also be people in our world who consider you to be the epitome of pure evil. That also doesn't matter. The verdict about you is already in and the validation that you seek has already been provided free of charge through the perfect life of our Savior Jesus. And because you don't need that approval from anyone else, what it does is it sets you free to be able to be there and to be able to give whatever anyone else might need from you. I know that sounds strange, but in the age of outrage, it's exactly what our world needs. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for living the sinless life that we could not and offering your life as payment for ours. Fill us with peace and free us to live in service to others. In your name we pray, amen. Hey friends, you may or may not know that Time of Grace Ministries is 100% donor supported. You know what that means. We wouldn't be here without you at all. Thank you. We're so grateful for the ways that you allow us to encourage others with the word of God and if God would move you in your heart to be able to, or to do that again, we'd, uh, we'd be so grateful. Click on the link below and you'll find more opportunities to support the ministry. Hey everyone, Pastor Mike here from Time of Grace. I know you're busy and you've already given us your time and you're ready to grab your phone and check your apps, but could you do us one huge favor and rate and review this podcast? Because the more of you that rate and review, the more people who will hear about Jesus, and the more people that hear about Jesus, the better life gets with God. So thanks for taking some time. We pray you have a blessed day, and we'll talk to you soon.